Hi, good morning. Um, would you put your fingers in First uh, Corinthians chapter 9? And we'll get there in a few minutes. Okay. So um, at church camp, maybe about three, four years ago, I was uh, sitting at this table, you know, during the, like the break time, dinner times, and I was talking to this uh, uncle from church. I'm going to change some details so you cannot identify him. And if you're here, don't worry, I'm not going to make eye contact with you, uh, so you won't get like, too, like caught out. But in any case, so, so I was talking to him, and he was describing like, like the struggle, the strife that he felt with the whole issue of capping. And, and, and what he had told me was this, that, you know, three, four times per year, um, you know, my cell group leader calls me, and then we go over to Teban Gardens, and we walk around up and down stairs delivering things and stuff. And the whole thing takes up a total of, like, what, four or five hours of my time, you know, including going back and forth and stuff. And he works as a, as a kind of consultant, as a, as a kind of bill by hour. And so the thing is, what that effectively means, right? If I didn't go capping and I went and did my work instead, I'd be making, like, $400, $500 during that time. So effectively, when church asked me to go and cap like this, what they're asking me is to give up that amount of money, you know, to, to the church. And, and is, that, is, is that okay? And, and if it is okay for, for the church to ask me to give that much of my time equals money, right, then would it be better if I just went and worked instead, got my $400, $500, and then I gave it to Theban Gardens, or I hire a bunch of like, you know, five or six young people to go and cover like 10 blocks, Right? the net amount of work that gets done is more, right? I mean, is, is that not better? And, and it wasn't just an issue of just the economics of kind of counting how much it was. It was also the sense of, of feeling underappreciated, of having, being asked to go and do something that, that's in, in some ways kind of beneath your dignity. Um, and, and so that, that, that's, that's how he felt, and, and I wasn't really sure how to, how to deal with that, how to talk about that. And this, this brings up this larger issue within the church, of, of, within the church, or not just within the church, but within the Christian life, within the, uh, within the Christian community, of how much do I owe to who, right? Like, how much can the church or the Christian community ask of me to do stuff, and uh, how much am I supposed to give uh, what, what, what exactly are, are the limits to my obligations over here? And, and there are kind of two ways in which this affects us. And part of it is as maybe as a supporter, as someone who gives money or time or, or, or uh, you know, some other form of support. And as, as a worker as well, as somebody who gives of one's, you know, effort or one's labors to it. And in some ways, this is not a very clear distinction, you know, because all of us in different ways at different times play both of these roles. Is that not the case? Because uh, I'm not just talking about supporters as being as, you know, regular people in the congregation and workers as being like full-time workers. Uh, when you give your time to capping or, you know, leading a cell group or, you know, being up, you know, on stage playing an instrument or something, in a sense, you are a worker. And as a supporter, all of us who benefit from those people who do these or other kind of ministries are also beneficiaries and supporters of them. So it's not very clear all of us are kind of both workers and supporters, but still the same question comes up. Like, how, how much do I owe exactly and, and to whom? And uh, so we play both of these roles, and it's not just within church, I'm not just thinking about within PPH, but also within the larger you know, sphere of Christian work, or, you know, it's not even very clear what exactly is secular work or, or Christian work. You know, when Bill Fu, uh, you know, advances the gospel in his place of work, should we consider him a worker or not? 
And, and we're going to try and answer th this issue, you know, of, you know, how much do I owe to who by looking at 1 Corinthians chapter now. First Corinthians chapter nine. Now, uh, I mean, this is part of a, one of the longest series I ever remember in church, uh, going through the book of First Corinthians, uh, and this is what the whole book looks like, right? So it's sixteen chapters. Uh, the big theme is that our beliefs and our actions must conform to the gospel. And that comes through kind of different sections in various places. And the chapter that we're looking at right now, uh, chapter 9, is right in the middle of this whole section that talks about food offered to idols. So that's really what Paul is talking about. But um, in, in a roundabout way, we'll come to, to the issues that we're talking about. So what we're going to do is I'm going to take like a big picture of you for a little while for chapter 8 to 10. Then after that, we'll kind of zoom back into chapter number 9, okay? So... Um, I know the words are a little bit small, so you may want to look on your own, uh, you know, devices. So, 1 Corinthians chapter 8. So, he starts off this whole section, right, uh, chapters 8 to 9. He says, now concerning food offered to idols. You know, we are no worse if we do not eat and no better off if we do. But take care that this right of yours to eat does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. And the basic idea that he's trying to put across here is that you, you may have the right to eat food offered to idols under certain, under certain circumstances, but give up that right for, for the sake of the weak. And this is what uh, Pastor Chiming talked about uh, uh, recently. And uh, then he goes on to the last bit of that chapter where he says, Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. And so this is Paul saying that I have the right to eat meat, but I'm going to give up that right for the sake of my brother. So that's chapter 8, and he follows on from this into chapter 9. And what he says is this, that, you know, do we, the apostles, do we not have the right to eat and drink and have a wife, and have we not... But we have not made use of this right, rather, we, rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. And what he's saying over here is that him uh, and the apostles, he has the right, I have the right to financial support and a family and, and all those other benefits of being an apostle, but I give up that right for, for the sake of the gospel. Right? And then chapter 10, he kind of circles back around a little bit. He talks a little bit about the uh, history of Israel, gets some examples from that that demonstrates these points. And then in the end, conclusion, so whether you eat or you drink, I'm not seeking my own advantage, but that of, men, of many, that they may be saved. And so you know, it comes back to that major point is that we have the right to eat anything, but we give up that right. For, for the sake of that many. So this is chapter 8 to 10. It's like one long sentence. Well, not a long sentence, but one long section that's really focusing on one issue. And that's where we are. We're going to zoom into chapter number 9 a little bit. And so the whole topic is food offered to idols, beginning of chapter 8 until end of chapter 9. And he makes a little detour to talk about issues within the church of support and all of that. And that's where we're going to go to in order to try and answer this question, right? So how much do I owe to whom as, as a supporter and, and as a worker? Okay, so big picture, finished. Everybody's still awake, right? Okay, now we go into a little bit more into chapter 9 itself. Right, so this is the last verse of chapter 8. And he goes, Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. Now, before we go on to chapter 9, just think about this for a minute. And for some of you more than others, this is a very scary thought. Okay? No steak ever 
for the sake of love of your brother. Can, can you imagine that? I mean, I, I know it says somewhere else in the scriptures, you know, greater love has no man than this but to lay down his life. But I think for my wife, you know, it'll be greater love has, more, has no man than this than to lay down his stake for his brother. And, and for some of you, it, it may not be this. It may be, I don't know, you know, chakoitya or, you know, you know uh, wantan me or whatever. But the, the, the point is that uh, something that he's perfectly entitled to, he's going to put away if it becomes an obstacle um, to his brothers coming to faith. That's nuts. Uh, but, but that's where he begins at the end of chapter 8. And this is the theme that he goes on to elaborate in uh, the, the rest of chapter 9. So here he says, I have the right to eat meat, but I will give up that right for the sake of my brother. And so the application of this is for the next two weeks, you know, we will all like, give up meat you know, in order to... No, no never mind. So... Um, Chapter number 9, okay, so the first verse, so here he goes. So, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are not you my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you. For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. And this is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working from a living? And so imagine that th this, is, this is the church that Paul founded over three years in his work in the, in the city of Corinth that you see uh, talked about in the book of Acts. Imagine if your pastor came to you and asked you these questions. You know, imagine if the person who brought you to faith, the person who discipled you, the person who grew you in your life of Christ, came up to you having to ask these kind of questions. Do I not have the right to eat and drink? Do, do I not have the right to have my needs met? Why, why must I give up these things why do you require me to give up these things in order to minister to you, to grow you, in order to bring you to a life of maturity? And that's what he asks the Corinthians. And his, his point is, don't I have those rights too? And the implied answer is, of course. Of course he has those rights. Don't, don't we have the rights to our daily needs, to our family, to financial support? And, and the answer is yes. Verse 7, who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who has to go off and, you know, sell his car in order to buy a gun in order to serve in the military? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Who goes and buys the land, tills the soil, plants the seeds, takes care of it, takes care of the, of the weeds, uh, you know, harvests it, and then can't have any of that? Who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? And, and, and his... his idea that he's trying to get across is that do we have the right to receive support as apostles? Of course we do. And it makes sense. You know, it's just common sense that he does. Verse 8 onwards. Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does, does he not certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake, because the plowman should plow in hope and the thresher should thresh in the hope of sharing in the crop. 
If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much to, if we, to ask if we reap material things from you? If others share in this rightful claim on you, do, do not we even more? Paul is referring back to, to one of the laws in Deuteronomy that speaks about what you're supposed to do with your oxen as, as you're using them. And, and so you, you, they, they, this is the way that they're using them uh, you know, back in those days and even now, which is that you, know, you, you, you harvest your grain, whether it's you know, corn or barley or whatever, and then you need to separate the, the, the seeds from the stalks, right? So you just stick them on the ground. And you can see this guy, he's sitting on the sled, and so he doesn't need to do a lot. He just kind of sits on it and kind of shouts at the, uh, at the oxen and they move. And as they pull the, that uh, sled over the, over the corn, over the grain, it separates out. And it creates really the food for him. Right? And he says that, and, and the law, the law says that as you're doing this, as you're using the, the oxen for your benefit, don't muzzle them. Don't tie up their mouths so that they're unable to eat because that's just... That's just cruel, right? So you're using these animals for your benefit, and they're not going to like, eat up all of the grain, right? They, they just need a little bit for their sustenance. Don't deprive them of this. And if this is what God says of the oxen, is, is that not a principle that should be applied even further to anyone that we're getting benefit from? And so he says it's not just from common sense that we know this, but it's from the Old Testament law. It says that we should not be muzzling uh, those oxen. And so when we come back to this, the question of how much do I owe to whom? And as people within the community of faith, within the the church, within the larger Christian community, as as supporters of people who give us benefit, are, are we muzzling our oxen? Are we treating them fairly? Are we ensuring that their daily needs are met? that their families are taken care of, that their contingencies are taken care of. Because if we're not, then we're treating them worse than we do our beasts of labor. And that's not okay. Um, This is um, a a friend of ours, uh, William Yandi Conte, um, who I met uh, when we were in uh, Sierra Leone, that's in West Africa about two years ago. And he works as a lawyer, and he works as the head of uh, the equivalent of the VCF, you know, of the, of the um, Fellowship of Evangelical Students, the Christian Union within the universities over there. And um, he's always really, really hard up um, in that he's always got trouble with money, and every now and then he kind of asks around people for money. And um, in, in, in one part, you know, as we kind of receive those requests, it's sometimes a bit difficult to process because there's this role conflict. You know, you're my friend, and yet you're kind of asking me for money, and you're not sure how to deal with that. But on the other hand, th- this is a man who is trained as a lawyer in, in Sierra Leone. If he wanted to, he could take good care of himself. And yet he's chosen to give the bulk of his time to kingdom work. And it is the responsibility of the congregation of the students of the church to in in Sierra Leone, especially his local church, to to take care of him, so that his daily needs can be met. And and sometimes that doesn't happen. And when it doesn't happen, it creates anxiety. And and that's hard to watch. He he has a daughter. Um, uh, the, the next photo is not of his daughter. To protect her privacy, I've used a different photograph. But his daughter is, uh, is about six years old now, and she was born with um, you know, some congenital deformities, some genetic problems that meant that she had 
uh, very bad cataracts in her eyes. You know, that's what people normally get when they get really old, but she was born with them, and she needed to have them operated on. Couldn't afford that in, in Sierra Leone. So managed to find a hospital in India that to do it really, really cheap. And so he's taken her over there, done the treatment, come back to Sierra Leone. And as she grows, every couple of years, she needs checkups, go back to India, needs new lenses, new operations, new things to, to, to take care of her eyesight. But he needs to do this to take care of his daughter. And these are the kind of hidden needs that much of his congregation uh, does not see. There are those among us who have chosen, chosen to do God-honoring work, Christ-exalting work, spirit-filled work, work for the kingdom of God. And at the same time, part of their mind needs to be engaged in, what, what am I going to do to eat? And, and there's something deeply wrong with that if as a community of faith, we're not enabling them, giving them wings to go out and do that stuff. It's, it's not always very clear, you know, where exactly that, that, that worker, that non-worker starts. You know, we've got a whole bunch of people who are tent makers who, who make their own money and are able to engage in ministry as well. There are others who make choices, you know, trade-offs about what they're going to do with their time, you know, wh whether it's that uncle who decides, you know, for four hours, five hours, every couple of months to, to go and do capping or not. You know, it's not very clear wh wh where that line is uh, between the worker and the non-worker, the guy who needs the support and the guy who doesn't need the support. And then there's all of our everyday ministries. And maybe this is where it's kind of hardest to see and to support them. Um, I remember what, it's, what it was like being a cell group leader uh, for several years, and sometimes you spend hours and days getting ready for the session, right? And then, like, two people show up for you for, 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 for that cell group session. And, and maybe it's not that. Maybe it's about, you know, hidden ministries. You know? I mean, people who, like, you know, preach or are on stage, who lead worship and all of that, uh, we, it, it can sometimes be frustrating, but at other times you do get thanks and stuff. But there are a hundred other ministries within the church, within the community of faith that nobody sees that nobody thanks, the, the person who types up the bulletin, right? The, the person who makes sure that, you know, it's printed and the chairs are in place. And it's often deeply discouraging when it's not money that they need in terms of support. It's not financial support, but it's just encouragement, just recognition. It's not criticism. It's not at the end of, you know, uh, you know, once in a while, one of the things that peeves me is, you know, you spent like, you know, three weeks, you know, studying and praying and, and thinking and seeking God and preparing a sermon. And the end of it, somebody's like, hey, your font new, huh? And like, wow, it wasn't the font. It was the ideas. Did you not hear a word that I said? Right? Um, sorry, frustration. Uh, but, but it's those kinds of, of, of support or encouragement that the everyday ministries uh, need. So how, how much do I owe to, 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 to whom? Um, as, as supporters, and all of us are supporters in some ways to some ministries, are, are we muzzling our oxen? Are we treating them worse than we would our beasts of labor? Are we giving them what, what is their due? Of course, there are some oxen who probably eat too much, right? So... Um, 
And, and, and you, you know what this is like. And whenever we talk about giving or, or payment or, or, you know, compensation within the church, always the thoughts come up. What, what about that guy who's asking for a private jet? You know, what about that guy who lives in this, like, you know, like, like super big villa? And yes, you know, there's some oxen who eat too much, and maybe they need to be put on a diet. And, and maybe for, for those oxen, some of them, they just need to be slaughtered and barbecued, right? But for, for the most part... For, for the most part, th those are the exceptions. And we shouldn't allow our, our outrage at these exceptions to govern how we deal with the, the many, many good, quiet, humble laborers that are out there. And from verse 12 onwards, it, you see Paul doing this really weird thing. In that There's this great change of tone. There's this shift. There's this two different ideas that he puts out there in tension with one another. And this is verse 12. <clears throat> Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? And he's talking about the Old, uh, Old Testament um, you know, system for maintaining the priesthood. Verse 14, in the same way the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel in the New Testament, those that proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. And although he says that that's his right, he has given up those rights for the sake of the gospel. I met uh, this guy on the left. Uh, his name is uh, Father Michael Lapsley, uh, just about two weeks ago. Uh, and, and he's one of the people that's made uh, a, a huge impression on me just, just in the, uh, within the last couple of years. Um, so Michael Lapsley is originally from New Zealand in the 1970s. He went to uh, South Africa to work there as a missionary. Uh, he's from the Anglican Church. And uh, as he went there to work as a missionary, he realized that a lot of injustice that was taking place within the country as a whole. So but all the way until 1994, I think, uh, South Africa was governed by apartheid, which is a, a system of racial segregation. So the entire population is categorized on their identity card. You know, you are a black, you are a colored, you are an Indian, you are white. And once that categorization is made, right, every single facet of their life is governed by what the color of your skin is. You can use certain services. You can walk on a certain side of the road. You can go to certain schools. You can stay in certain places. You can cert get certain jobs. You can marry certain people if you're white. And if you're black, you're denied those things. You're required to live in these terrible hovels, you're required to carry around with you these passes, and if you don't take out your pass fast enough when the policeman asks you for it, you can be jailed for obstruction of justice. It was a time of terrible injustice and terrible oppression and terrible segregation for 40, 50 years from the 40s to the 90s. And into this environment, Michael went as a pastor, as a, um, um, as a missionary, and was working mostly among the black South Africans. And there he had to make a choice. Because some of the church, the, uh, some denominations and some sections of the church, supported the whole apartheid movement and worked against and would not give support to any missionary, any pastor, any Christian worker who's working among those black people. 
he had to make a choice between receiving support for his life, for his daily needs, or to say, I can't do that. For the sake of my conscience, for the sake of consistency with the gospel, I cannot take that money. And so he gave up that right and continued to work in South Africa from the 70s, uh, before you know, some of you were born, um, until the 1990s. Near when apartheid was, uh, was, was uh, abolished, uh, he received a, a letter uh, full of religious materials. So he's sitting at his home, and he begins to open that letter, and it exploded. It is a letter bomb. It took out one of his eyes, his hearing, both of his hands, and almost killed him. Um, he survived. He recovered. He now has hooks for, for both of his hands. He's got hearing aids on both sides, and one of his eyes, uh, his right side, you can't see it very well, uh, is, is an artificial eye. Um, and he continues to work in reconciliation and uh, emotional healing and memory healing uh, within South Africa right now. And it is a privilege to, to meet him. And, and I've, I've asked him to come and stay in my house when he comes over to uh, Singapore, hopefully in a couple of uh, months' time. Um, but but, he, but to, to, to me, he was an example you know, somebody who makes clear what it means to sometimes look at the options for support, look at the options for money, and not look at it and say, look, God has opened this door for me to get, uh, you know, support or take care of my life. He looks at every opportunity to receive support and says, is that consistent with the gospel? Would it damage my witness among those that I'm trying to bring to faith? And if it's in the way of the gospel, he said no. And he suffered for it. And, and later, uh, he, you know, he, he uh, almost died because of it. Um, I, I had dinner with him. And, 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 he, and because of his hearing loss, he tends to like sit very close to you. And then when he talks, you know, he kind of leans forward and puts his like, like, like hook on your shoulder. And it's a little bit scary because you think, oh, no, if I sneeze, like he might poke out my eye. Uh, but but, but, but he, he's, he's an idol. Um, and, and there's something amazing about witnesses like those. Verse 15, but I've made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure such provision, for I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting, for necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel, for if I do this out of my own will, I have a reward. But if not out of my own will, I'm still entrusted with stewardship. What, what then is my reward? That in my preaching, I may present the gospel free of charge so as not to make full use of my rights in the gospel. The only reward that Paul needs, the only reward that he demands is that of the right, the freedom to preach his gospel. And that is spectacular to see. Have you seen people like this? I, I spoke about um, Jeremy and Bethany Beckett, uh, I, I think a couple of sermons ago as well. And they continue to inspire me in, in, in this way. So they're um, doctors from Australia. They're working in East Timor. And they do um, mostly development of the whole health system in East Timor. And I've been working on and off with them for, for a while. Um, they're 
believers and the organization that they uh, work with are, are mostly believers, but, but some of them are not. And, and that's a point of some tension and witness within the organization. Because these guys, they, de they, they decided uh, to work in this environment with basically the same salaries, with the same kind of provisions as that of the Timorese. And many other organizations, large NGOs, large uh, you know, international agencies that are working in this kind of environment, right? There'll be this huge gap between the international people who'll be driving fancy cars and you know, eating at restaurants and living in big gated houses. And then you'll have the local staff who have got a totally different lifestyle, right? But these guys said that for the sake of my witness, because I'm not just here as a technical person, not just here as a doctor, not just here as a manager, not just here as a policymaker, I'm here to witness with my life what it means to be a believer within these domains. Because of that conviction, he, they told their board, just pays the same salary scale uh, as the rest of the Timorese. And so that's about like a thousand US dollars per month for, for each of them. And they've got three kids, right? How? How do they do that? What makes them say that or do that? And uh, like about two months ago when I was in East Timor, I was there for a meeting with a larger organization and I was talking with the kind of the fundraisers and the board and all of this. And one of those people on the, uh, on the kind of the management team uh, who's not a believer was, was, was telling us, uh, you know, without these guys present, like, what kind of idiots are these? Only these Christians would come in and do this kind of work for this kind of pay. And I thought... Yes, right? You're right. And, and th does, this, does this not echo uh, something that you heard about just a couple of weeks ago from, from Pastor Cockfy's sermon, 1 Corinthians chapter 4? For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we've become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you, you're wise in Christ. We are weak, but you, you are strong. You're held in honor, but we in disrepute. To this present hour, we hunger and we thirst and we are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless, and we labor, working with our own hands. We don't live that high life. This is the ministry of stupidity, the, the witness of foolishness, and it is glorious. Verse number 19. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though, I, uh, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside of the law, not being outside the law of God, but being under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I've become all things to all people, that by all means I may save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I might share with them in its blessings. And for him, this is the bottom line, that the only reward that he needs is to be able to preach that gospel. How much do I owe to whom? And we ask this as, as, as supporters, and we also feel this and we ask this as, as workers, as people who are entitled to some form of support from the church, whether it's, you know, financial or moral or just cooperation or, or anything. And the witness of Paul raises this challenge to you. If you're asking this question, how much is owed to me? The question is, is the gospel reward enough for you?
Is it enough for you that your labors, that you're walking up, the, up and down the stairs in Teban Gardens, advances the kingdom of God and God's gospel in some way? Is that enough? Because if that's not enough, and there's something else that you need to make that worthwhile and real and true for you, then maybe you don't understand the gospel very well. Have, have you felt like the gospel is enough in, in your labors? And I must say that most of the time I don't feel that way. But, but there's a few times in my life when, when I've kind of gained a glimpse of what it was like to, to feel that way. And, and maybe not about the gospel, but about, about, about the kind of work that, that I used to do, the, 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 the basic medical work. And, and I, I graduated in 2005. And at that time, especially for the first couple of months, I got a bit jaded after that, but especially for that first couple of months, I loved the work. And, and I still do, but a little bit more like on and off, but not like I did at that time. Because when I first started work, it was nuts. It's like I would go be working every day, and on my off days, I would go back into KK Hospital because that's where other people were working and I could help them out. Uh, you know, there, there are these things called being on call, which in those days meant that you work one full day, and then you work overnight, and then you work another full day. So basically, like, like almost like 72 hours sometimes, you're just like totally awake, and you're like going nuts. But I love that. And at the end of that, you're entitled to like, you know, make call claims and get some money for that extra work that you've done, right? And I would just forget to make my call claims. And I now look back and I think, if I had done that, I would be able to pay off my house loan better now. So I wish I had. But, but the point is that at that time, it didn't matter because the work itself was enough for me. And um, I, I, I still get glimpses of this sometimes, right? So it's, it's like most of my life, I'm kind of like an, an underwater blah, 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 with like, you know, dealing with the, with, with, with the, with the bills and the mortgage and the, uh, and the investments and the salary and making my claims and all of this. And most of the time, I'm underwater. But sometimes, you know, in, in the midst of the work, you see someone coming to faith. You see someone whose life is changed. You see someone whose life is made better because of what you've done with them. And then in those days, you know, I feel like my head has come above water and I take a huge breath and the spirit fills my lungs and I know for the few times in my life what it's like to be alive and, and, and joyous, you know, and, and passionate and know that I'm doing what I was built to do. And I want those things to happen more often. I know that that's especially difficult uh, when one is discouraged when one's been doing something for a really, really long time and one's not seeing the fruits of that. All of the hidden ministries, you know, um, all of people like William Yande Conte I, I talked about, we had a whole church that we, uh, a church of missionaries that we, uh, that we uh, attended in addition to our, our local th um, uh, Sierra Leonean church when Lewis and I were there. And these are mostly aid workers, Christian workers, missionaries, um, who are there, and week after week, whenever we met, most of the things that, that came out were all like, pr like prayer items about how exhausted they were, how you know, difficult things were, how their faith was you know, all, always at the edge of the cliff, um, and yet they carried on. And so I know how difficult it is to feel that the gospel is enough all the time. But as we turn our eyes 
to the scriptures, as we see how Paul felt about it. Maybe that tells me, tells us a little bit about what, what it's like and what we should be like. How much do I owe to whom? And as a worker, the, the question is this, is, is the gospel, is that reward enough for you, knowing that God smiles upon you as you're doing that particular work? That it doesn't matter who criticizes you, it doesn't matter who remembers you or recognizes you, the gospel enough in your ministry. Now, in one sense, we started off saying, you know, how much do I owe to who and, and how do we answer this for, for the supporters and how do we answer this for, for the workers? And, and in one sense, we kind of move towards uh, an answer to that from 1 Corinthians 19, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. But really, if you look down at the heart of it in 1 Corinthians 9, Paul would tell you that this, this is a wrong question. Because this is not how the gospel works. This is not how the Christian life works. Right at the center of our Christian life, at the center of our faith, at the starting point of our faith and the end to which we are moving towards is the story that God the Father loved us. He created us. He's preserved us. He's fathered us. He loved us. He owes us nothing and yet he gave his son freely to die for our sins. And through the spirit, he made that story alive in your heart. He created a new man in you, a, a new birth in you. He indwells you now as a promise of the day to come when you will be fully redeemed. And what did we do for any of this? Absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. We got it all for free. And if that's the center of the gospel, then there's something wrong with this if what we're asking is, is how much do I owe to who? Do, do I owe this much to this person, that much to that person? How much are they supposed to give me? If that's what we're consumed by, we have lost sight of that story. And so this is a partial answer as, as supporters. Are, are we muzzling our oxen? Are we taking care of them? And as workers, is the gospel reward enough for us? That these are partial answers. But the larger answer is this, that our beliefs and actions must conform to the gospel, and the gospel is free. So it's a wrong question to ask. Now, this doesn't answer a lot of, of, of real practical questions, you know, uh, about the capping thing. Maybe it is right to give your time in different ways if you really believe that, you know, making money and then giving it to the cause will somehow advance the gospel better than you going out there by yourself. May maybe that's the case. I don't know. There are issues around um, giving and tithing. You know, like, how, how much exactly are you supposed to give it? Is it 10%? Is, it is that, like, something locked in? Or should it be, like, 12.3%? Or is it something else? Should it be same as your, like, tax rates to the Singapore government? All, all these, like, little details. Um, how, how exactly how much should we pay to our church workers? 
And not just the church workers, but lay ministers. How do we compensate them? How do we take care of them? How do we ensure that they don't get burnt out? What about people who don't even have, you know, like ministry positions about our, our cleaners? What about the people who take care of the premises? How do we treat them within the Christian community that's different from the way that the church treats them? What about our volunteers? What about our tired CGLs, right? Imagine if we gave all CGLs like free parking on church premises, right? Um, no, I'm not, suggesting that we, I'm not suggesting that we do do this because uh, I think there'll be a stampede for everybody to become a CGL at that time. But uh, the, the point is that maybe that's the kind of thing that we do need to think about. And the exact answers for this are, you, you'll, you'll need to spend a lot more time thinking and, and, and figuring that out. It's going to be different answers for different people at different times. Uh, but somewhere at the center of thinking about all of these kind of questions, our controlling story, our controlling thought must not be how much does who owe where. You know, what, what, what exactly is the counts? What, what exactly is the calculation on this? Somewhere at the center of all of that must be remembering that the gospel is free. The gospel is free. The gospel is free. And let's turn our, our eyes to that. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. This is Paul's words, and I pray that it'll, it'll become deep and real and true in us. I'm, I'm going to pray, and I would like the musicians to not come up uh, because the sermon is for you as much as it is for, for, for the rest of us. But um, I'd, I'd like us to pray. So, so would, you, would you stand up with me and, and pray with me? God, we come to you, each one of us within the community of faith, and uh, maybe some of us who, who don't yet know you. We, we come to you and we, we remember that in some ways we're, we're givers, we're supporters, and in, so, and in other ways we're, we're workers, we're receivers, and, and we kind of go back and forth between these things. And, and whenever we're, we're in that relationship with the rest of the community of faith, the, the human part of us, the, the worldly part of us, the Singaporean part of us is always rearing up and asking, how, how much do I owe? How, how much am I supposed to get? How much is this worth? God, help us. Help us by your, your indwelling spirit to live what it means to live the, live the people of God, live the kingdom of God. To look at these kind of questions and and in one sense, ask, you know, can we, can we make sure that our oxen are not muzzled, that people are treated fairly? On the other hand, to ask, you know, as, as people who are giving to your kingdom work, um, is your kingdom work enough for me? Is the gospel enough for me? Or am I hankering after more and people and recognition and rewards? And underneath all of this, Father, to, to remember that the gospel is free, that you have given your all for us, you've given your all for me, that I deserve nothing. And because we've received it, this blessing for free, we're called to be open-handed 
We're called to be generous. We're called to, to give of our time and our money and our labor and our lives and all of us. Asking not how much do I owe to prove, but asking what does the gospel need of me? How much more can I give to the gospel? Help us to do this. Help us, O oh God, to do this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Service is over.